expanding the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. It's that time once again. Yes, you found episode 53 of Down and Nerdy where you don't know it, but right now we're doing our best river dance. Yes, and I'm actually joined by one-legged Michael Flatley right now, and we are practicing our lore of the dance right now. That's like his worst nightmare, being a <laughs> guy. I'm James with him alongside. The uh, Merkle one-armed Nick Pataglia. And let's just say it right now. Our episode last week with uh, Champ Robinson and Courtney Lynn of the Harley Quinn fan film series was a huge success. I want to thank their fans, our fans, and anybody that might be new to the show for making it our most listened to episode ever. Not just that, but it's also the episode that reached the 100 to 200 listen mark faster than anything else we've done, which is quite amazing. So, yeah, 300 as of this recording, actually. Yeah, damn near over, over. And when you can, when you put those streams... And you put the listens together, the downloads, it's over 500 listens. And it's amazing. We looked at the stats the other day, actually, and we have like 30 listens in France and 18 listens in the United Kingdom. It's Mm -hmm. simply, simply amazing. So, again, thank you to Champ and Courtney uh, for coming on last week and just giving us literally a, a hell of an interview and a great show. And, and please go support their Kickstarter. We'll be posting that up on our Facebook a lot, facebook.com slash down and nerdy. And we hope to hear a lot more from them in the future. And here's something you don't hear every day, Nick. We actually have an interview this week as well. Yes, back-to-back interviews, boys and girls. Well, we did say we were going to ramp up the whole interview <laughs> uh, thing on the show in 2015. We have we have Matt Slay, our good friend Matt Slay, comic artist, joining us this week. Uh, he's going to be talking about you know Marvel Retro and Icarus, some other cool stuff he's doing. So we're going to have him on as our main event and main topic this week. So I like that, actually. The main event. The it's main Matt event. Slay. Yes. Yes. And, uh, no, it's really cool. Um, and we're still not going to tell you who our big, big get is in April. That's, that's, we're going to might tease a little bit. but Oh, we'll be teasing. But, no, I mean, you know, we're talking to Matt about, you know, his projects and everything else. And uh, some Demo Burger actually we talk about some black metal as well. <laughs> I'll so, tell you what, there, there's really a lot that happened in this interview. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you're, you're going to really love this one because it kind of went off the rails a couple of times. But um, also, I uh, don't want to forget Bob at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach. We're going to be there May 2nd, free comic book day at noon. This time, Nick's going to be there. Yay! Yay! Yes, I am going to be there. So we're really looking forward to that. Mark Hamill actually just did a video promoting Free Comic Book Day. So who better to to promote the event than the man himself? Mark Hamill just he just rules, man. He, he really does. rules. He's like the ambassador for nerd culture, really, if you think about it. And he even admits that he's a comic book fan himself. So that makes it even cooler. Yeah, and speaking of comic books, one thing we're going to be talking about in nerd news is, of course, the big controversy over the Batgirl variant cover uh, that was inspired by the Killing Jokes. We'll talk about that. Um, we're also going to talk about the Crow being cast. And for this week in Geektainment, what are we going to be doing this week, James? Are we talking about con men? Yep, that's what's coming up in this week in Geektainment. But first, you know what we're going to do. Take out the bags and boards. It's time for what we're reading. It's up next on Down and Nerdy. 
Well, it's that time, nerds and nerds. That's time to bring out those bags, those boards. It's time to discuss what we're reading, of course, brought to you by our good friends over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards. And they are going to Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go visit Bob. Check out his action figures, his comics, his plethora of great things. And he has, he has some art up there as well. He's selling as well. Oh, yeah, good stuff. Good, good, good stuff. Uh, so I'm going to go first this week, James. And I went back to my Marvel roots again. And just take a guess on what I did this week. Ah, uh, could it have something to do with somebody that was in an end credit scene in Guardians of the Galaxy, maybe? You are right, sir, you smart bastard, you. Uh, th- I did Howard the Duck number one this week. I just, I just, you know, for a second there, I thought it would have been Affleck the Duck number one, but I'm glad that you decided to go that route instead. I, I your, your use of puns disturbs me greatly. <laughs> you and everybody else. Yes, I, I feel sorry for your wife. Uh, it's like Gilbert Godfrey reviewing a comic. Think about that. For I'd, a I'd rather have Gilbert Godfrey narrate my entire life from here on out than have you use another pun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually Howard the Duck instead, so I'll, I'll let you proceed at this point. All right. So anyways, it was written by Chip Zdarsky, and the art's by Joe Quintones. And the plot is Howard the Duck starts off in, he's in prison again. And he gets out and he meets this client named Jonathan Richards. And apparently the black cat stole a necklace from Richards and she wants Howard to go find it and retrieve it. And it turns out at towards the end, he gets captured by someone. And well, if you've seen the Guardians of the Galaxy, you know where this is going. Uh, and the last panel actually introduces a Marvel character in a very pretty cool way as a good stinger towards the end, if you will. Uh, the art is by Quintones is actually a very breath of fresh air, like we said with the sender last week. It's very flat made, uh, has very thick outlines, so it's, and it goes really, really well. Mm. Uh, also, if you look at some of the settings, you'll laugh your ass off at some of the stuff. Like, for example, this has the Marvel universe. So it has like she Hulk is kind of like, uh, Howard the ducks kind of partner in a sense. In that's, the law that's a very interesting combination. I gotta say. Yeah. And she's like looking at Buzzfeed and it says like Buzzfeed, here's 20 pictures of cats and all you live like in a totally messed up and, you know, crazy world kind mm-hmm. of thing. Wow. And it's really like, you look at some of the things in the settings and it, 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 it really is, makes them their own and it really puts them in a certain reference of you have to, like you look you're turning each panel seeing like what you can find and the kind mm-hmm. of thing kind of like a where's wall though but you know in a different way um and the writing is so funny it, the narration even breaks the fourth wall so a, it's it's kind of deadpool-esque in for as far as the writing goes yeah howard never breaks the, the fourth wall but the narrator does and it's hilarious. It's kind of like there's a part where Howard gets captured and goes like, you know, 13 years later or, or 13 or 13 months later, you know, and Bob says, well, it could be 13 years since you probably turned the last page of this panel or turned to this comic or even read this comic at all. But here you go, you know, kind of thing. And it's it funny because you don't really get a lot of narration in a lot of books. So no, that's that's kind of refreshing. And- and one of the best panels, actually a whole page, is a montage, like a, a you know the workout training montage. Right. And there's actually a song with lyrics written on the page. Oh my gosh. And the song is actually inspired by. Have you seen Team America: World Police? And uh-huh. you have that. It's time for a montage. It's exactly that tone. Oh it's, wow. I was laughing so hard, dude. It was so great. And what's great about this book is that. They, they, like I said, they use other Marvel characters in it. Spider-Man's in it for a little bit. Black Cat's in it. 
and you know She-Hulk's in it for the first issue, they don't steal any panels you know, from Howard, and they do enough to where they don't feel forced or made as just background, like, hey, this is a Marvel it's book. It's a cameo. So here's, yeah. It's like, hey, here's a Marvel book, you know, just if you haven't forgotten, you know, if you've forgotten about it. And, you know, it's really, really good. And it's so, I love this comic so much. For me, it's a definite poll, dude. I'm going to go to Bob's and say, you know what, put this wow. in my poll each week. It's really, really good. Especially because if you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy, and of course, who hasn't? But if right. you've seen the end credits, sequence with Howard Duck, you will see how he ends up getting to where he is. If you've seen the original movie, which is actually still pretty good and a cult classic, I mean, you appreciate the character, and it's kind of cool that they're bringing him back. And that's cool, because actually, uh, Richards actually references Howard's like, how'd you find about you? He goes, oh, I saw it on a silver screen. And you're like, oh, they're referencing nice. the movie. Nice. But it's not. He actually has an ad of like, you know, and, and that's playing in front of a movie kind of thing. Like, have you lost this person? That's Call great. That's hilarious. So it thinks it takes you like it's going into one idea of like, yeah. oh my god, they're gonna reference this cult classic of a film, but really they're going in a totally different direction. Well it's done. so great. It's well, well done. done. So it's a definite pull for me. So now it's your turn, sir. And I went a definitely one eighty degree turn from what you did this week because I took to my DC worshiping side and I decided to go with Batman Arkham Knight number one. Nice. Which is of course, based on the Arkham games that are going to be, especially the Arkham Knight game that's going to be coming out. Stories actually by Peter Thomasy. You might remember him. He did a little bit of work in the Batverse before. Also, Victor Bregdonovich does the pencils. Art Tibbet, excuse me, that would be Art Thibbert. Art Thibbert does the inks. I don't know why. I don't know how I do this to myself every week. And uh, John Rausch actually does the colors. Now, the way this book starts out, it basically starts out where Arkham City ends. They actually show you the scene of Batman carrying Joker's dead body out of the Monarch Theater. And it's very cool that they just kind of reset it there. And uh, it's a very, very dark book for sure. I mean, I know it's the Dark Knight and all that stuff, but it's a very graphic, very serious book. As a matter of fact, just when you think Batman's going home, he gets sidetracked on it with another criminal because that's just his life. But then in within the, th within the third or fourth page, the Arkham Knight does make an appearance. Really? And we actually get some dialogue from the Arkham Knight. And one of the things that kind of chilled me to the bone, because it was basically the electrocutioner that Batman captures, and the Arkham Knight goes up to the electrocutioner who's waiting for the police to come pick him up, and he basically says, he thinks he left you here to be captured. Now, mind you, the electrocutioner, if you've played Arkham Origins, he actually makes an appearance, I believe, as well. Yes, and this is actually a different electrocutioner. Apparently, that was his boss, and this oh, is a new okay. guy that makes a prototype kind of thing. But the Arkham Knight basically says, uh, I'm not going to quote it directly, but he says, you're sitting here in fear of him, and that's his power over you, and that's why all of you here in, Gar in Arkham are useless, and wow. are just as useless to me as the bat is, and he kills the electrocutioner on site. Wow, so we really get to see why it was made mature in a sense. Yeah, so basically what we're finding out about the Arkham Knight here is and why this comic I think is going to be so crucial to anybody that's going to play the game is he finds the villains just as useless as Batman. And you think that's probably why like you've seen the, the Arkham Knight official trailer, the first trailer that came out and you're seeing like Penguin and Two-Face mm -hmm. everybody's kind of teaming up is a kind of sense of like you're useless because you're teaming up. You're mm -hmm. not your individual 
things that rule each part of Gotham or whatever. You ha- you have to team up. It's gotten bad to that point where you're that useless. You have to team up with each other to take down Batman. So the qu- big question that I think everybody would have going into this game and into this comic is, is the Joker finally really this time actually dead? Yes, but that doesn't mean we don't get some Joker in this book because in true Joker fashion, even in death, a master plan is launched in this comic. Now, I won't go into exactly what it is because I don't want to spoil it, but let's just say he has one more challenge for the bat to face. And Alfred's basically telling Bruce when he comes back after he deals with the electrocutioner that, hey, you've made the night of Gotham safe. Now you need to make the day safe. So Bruce Wayne's launching this initiative to finally, once and for all, financially back the rebuilding and kind of cleansing of Arkham City. Meanwhile, of course, he has no idea that the Arkham Knight is in the background. And even Penguin says he has a contingency plan in this book as well. And basically where it ends is it's the Arkham Knight basically watching Batman as he's going through Joker's one last hurrah, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm going to wait and see if the Joker finishes you off before I get a chance to. Wow. So it's very interesting how, and then it almost looks like at one point where he's trying to save him because he doesn't want the Joker to kill him off. Right. It's very interesting. And of course, Scarecrow makes an appearance at the end. I don't think that's really a spoiler because of the way that the trailer for the video game came out, but there's just, it's so, so little happened, but at the same time, it feels like so much is going on. And it, it was one of those books where very few books that you read nowadays that I'm like, I want issue two right now. Question. Does it read like a zero issue? It reads like, it doesn't really read like a zero issue. It reads like if you played Arkham City. Okay. This picks up right where it left off. I mean, like okay. right where it left off. Like it was almost like if. If you if in the game you're carrying Joker's body out, you put him on the hood of the police car and Batman takes off, literally it's like continuing the game from that point. And I think that was part of the brilliance of this book. It was like there was no lost time. I mean, at right. one point they do skip ahead a few days after the Joker's death. So they do skip ahead a few days, but not a great amount. But they do pick up literally the second that the game ended, they picked it right back up. So I thought that was the cool thing about this book. Again, the art, I think, was very, very good. Not as good as the main Batman run with Greg Capullo, but I don't think that that's a fair comparison. And I think that Victor uh, Bogdanovich wanted to make it different anyway. But it's de- the art is definitely very good. And it's it's an exciting book. I thought it would be. It lived up to the expectations. This is easily a pull for me. Yeah, that, that that's really, really cool. Something I, I actually... Uh, wish I had pre-ordered. It. I forgot all about it. So I was at Bob's and I saw it there on the on the shelf, and I was like, "Oh man, I forgot all about that," and I just grabbed it. Right. So that's gonna do it for what we're reading this week. Again, we both had polls this week. James reviewed Arkham Knight. I did Howard the Duck, and we both loved the comics we read this week. But coming up next, we're gonna be talking about con men. And Geek Tainment. So stay tuned. More Down Nerdy coming up next. Well, I hope you kept a lot of extra room in that backpack for prints and comics because we're going to the con this week in Geek Tainment. And we're going to be talking about what's going to be a web series, hopefully, from Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk. <laughs> 
It's not hopefully, it's happening. It's called Con Man. Now, it was pitched on the tiny budget of 425000 for three episodes by, again, Alan Tudyk and Nathan Fillion on the Indiegogo campaign. It launched last Wednesday. It passed the 1 million mark in less than 24 Crazy. hours. So in addition to 11 episodes now funded, confirmed guest stars are going to be including Sean Marr, Gina Torres, James Gunn, Seth Green, Felicia Day, and Amy Acker. And if the fundraiser surpasses $1.7 million, which it probably will. Oh, yeah. Two additional episodes will be produced, one of which will be a complete episode of Spectrum, the in-universe cult series. Now, oh, wanting, wow. So people are wondering, what's Spectrum? Well, I'm glad you asked because this is called Con Man, and, of course, it stars Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk. Now, they changed their names. Fillion plays his former co-star, Jack Moore, who is, of course, more famous uh, as in real life. And it's a placate on their real life. And the two co-stars were on a show called Spectrum, which is pretty much Firefly. Yeah, and they talk, and basically when they're doing the trailer for the show, he's, uh, Alan Tudyk's character is in the bathroom, you know, yep. getting ready to take care of a little business. When he, when the person next to him hears him talking on the phone, and it's that classic, oh, you're that guy moment, and he's trying to get him to sign a magazine while he's on the toilet. Yes. And then there's the whole, you know, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to sign this. And he brings up a fake charity and it's just really funny because you know, that's probably happened a million times to these guys. And it was great. People are like, well, how do you know this is Firefly? Because the guy, there's another guy with a stall and he's like, listen, I'm, I'm sorry. I've overheard you guys talking. Are you famous or something? And, he, and the guy's like, yeah, man, he's right nearly. He's, you ever watch Spectrum? The guy's like, no. He's like, well, he was the pilot on Spectrum. I'm like, oh. he's, yep. like he's like, he's like, he's like, wait, is that, is that like, uh, 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 the show that Jack Moore was on? Yeah, the captain. I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, yes. And then they talk about how much they love him while he's sitting there. You know, how much they love Nathan Fillion's character and not his. And then I love the part at the end where the guy goes, oh, I'm sorry I didn't know you from that show, but that was like kind of fake and the acting's always really shitty. And yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so hilarious. And, and what's great about it is, like I said, it kind of gives you an inside look at like Tudyk and Fillion's life in general. Because Fillion went on to, you know, to do as James's favorite show of all time, Castle. And, you know, and, and Tudyk went on to, you know, be Alan Tudyk. And he's done some roles, but he's not as big as yeah, a person. Yeah, he's been in shows like Suburgatory, stuff yeah. like that. And he's played supporting roles in other stuff. But he's mostly known as Steve the Pirate from That's Dodgeball. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, he's done, he's done roles like that. But it's like, it's a, it's, like I said, it's a play on their actual life after Spectrum, a.k.a. Firefly, happened, where mm -hmm. Philly went on to be this great big thing and Tudyk went to stay in that B role slash that guy kind of mm -hmm. a thing. And it's really I'm so glad that it I knew it was gonna shatter the fundraising thing. So oh, I'm no so, doubt. So I'm so glad they're not like, hey, we're gonna do three episodes, and then we're gonna use the rest of the money for another three at, like for like another season. No. Like, no, we're just gonna keep this episode rolling. We're gonna do multiple episodes as much as the funding goes. So they make a full season out of this, which is gonna be great. And it's gonna show Probably behind the scenes of what it's like to be – I mean, we've been on the opposite side of the table at TidewaterCon. Yeah, yeah. But to be on their level, what it's like to be at the con. Because you see Tooth complaining and calling his agent and what must be the head of the con saying, hey, I wanted first class and my ticket says I'm for coach. What the You're going to break me. My back is injured from the last con. Yeah. I just think it's funny that – 
They're poking fun at themselves at the same time, you know? It's almost yeah. like a, a satire on their own lives. I think that's just such a cool thing. And just like when, when I found out, when I first found out about Comic Book Man, when it was in his infancy, I was like, this is a show that has to happen. This is a show on that level that does a different subject matter that also just needs to happen. Well, Comic Book Man works because it's Pawn Stars for comic book fans and nerds. Pretty much, yeah. But it's the, it's the, it's the inside conversations with the guys, though, when they do like their what ifs and stuff like that. Yeah. Like on the last the show. Like the last episode with Billy D. Williams. How freaking hilarious was that? It was just ridiculous and hilarious at the same time. And that's exactly what I think this show is going to be as well, even though it's more on the, on the fictional side of reality, I guess. So what do you expect to see as the show progresses? I think we're going to see, like you said, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff from cons and what it's like to be a quote-unquote talent at these things. And I think we're going to find out, you know, like the con managers, I think we'll get a little bit of poking at, at, at them a little bit because, you know, some are better than others and some treat their talent a little bit better than others do. So it'll be very interesting to see what uh, what goes on there. And just the fans in general, I'll be interested to see if there's going to be cosplay in this at some point. Maybe cosplay plays a role. <laughs> Somebody comes up cosplaying as one of the characters from the show. Tootie gets propositioned for sex by a cosplayer. Ah, yes. More about that with Matt Slay later on, by the way. Yes. <laughs> but no, I just, I think it's going to be great. And it's one of those shows that I'm, I, I hope they release all the episodes at once so I can just power through it Netflix style. Yeah, I wonder how long they're going to be. I don't think they're going to be that long. I think they're probably going to be like 20 minutes an episode or something like that. Oh, I like think that. so too. Yeah, we're both very excited for Con Men. But coming up next, very controversial edition as usual. Big nerd news next on Down and Nerdy. Well, it's that time, boys and girls, nerdnets alike. We go around the interwebs and discuss what's trending. Because it's time for what, James? Nerd, nerd news! And last week we started the show... Or a segment, I should say, with Star Wars. And, well, the stories just keep on coming. So, again, we're going to start off with Star Wars. But, however, this isn't the movies. This has to deal with the comics. Yes, and Marvel and Disney actually released an image uh, last week. And it was basically a pictorial that almost looked like what the uh, Ewok party from the end of Return of the Jedi. And now we know that there's going to be a comic that's going to bridge the gap between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. And it's going to be called Shattered Empire. Yeah, it's going to be a new book series that come out starting in September of this year. But that wasn't also the big news, James. Yeah, we also know that artist John Cassaday is going to be leaving after issue number six of the current Star Wars run from Marvel. And it's going to be replaced by Stuart Immonen, I mean, excuse me, Immonen, apologize for that, don't mean to butcher his name, and Stuart, Cassade uh, is going to be leaving after issue six, and Immonen, you know what? <laughs> you just can't say names. Immonen, Immonen is going to be leaving by, is going to be taking over by issue eight. He's the current artist. He's done some work for the all new Captain America. Now they're saying a special artist. It's going to be doing issue number seven, so that could be anybody. Before I dive into this, for 10 cents a day, people, you can give James reading lessons. For 10 cents a day, you can help him get reading lessons. It'd be different if I was, like, dyslexic or something. Or, you know, like, I'm colorblind, so sometimes, you know, certain shades confuse me but th- this should not be a thing this i blame this on my child <laughs> my my child my seven month old child of course for not letting me sleep blame the children never blame yourself that's what the parents today you know it's, it's like blame the teacher they never blame this the, the student it's always blame the child don't blame yourself that 10 cents a day can also get me a good night's sleep 
<laughs> send your donations <laughs> to the Witham Fund. <laughs> but no, so Cassidy is leaving, and Eminem, he, uh, see, James, is how you say the name. Eminem. Well done. You've heard me struggle with it twice, and now you just had to be able to get it through in your head. I see how it is. It's like twisting a jar off. You illiterate motherfucker. But uh, well, the next no. time you need to go up a ladder, I will be there to help you. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, they have a very special guest artist going to be drawing number seven. And then, yeah, Eminem, he, uh, He's doing work with um, all new Captain America, so I mean, we'll you know go to Bob's or Fanscape. I know he's got some of those comics around there. We'll you know take a look at what we can kind of ex- expect. By uh, the way, the Eminem. teaser was actually drew the teaser for uh, Shattered Empires was actually drew, drawn by Phil Noto, who does Black Widow for Marvel right now. So yeah. that's who did that. If that looked familiar to you, yeah. But I mean, that's just that's. I mean, remember we say this in comics all the time that. The R is key. I mean, you go to Batman Eternal number eight, and that's literally one of the most unreadable comics oh, I can yeah. I can get through. Not because the writing, but because the R is just terrible. It really is. And what were we saying when we reviewed Star Wars number one a few episodes ago? That the how art was great. The art was, yeah. and now all of a sudden, after six, and what happened the last time that this happened with Marvel with either a writer or an artist? The book went. Right downhill. So that's. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but it's a legitimate concern when a, when an artist of that caliber that's done so well is going to leave after six issues. And there seems to be no reason given so far. No, there isn't. Which is it's very very weird. So again, we'll see how that turns out. I mean, of course, it's still in our polls, but again, we'll just see how. Oh, of course. Yeah, I have hope. I really do have. Oh, hope. I do too. I have a new hope. Is what I have. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can't set them up for me and not expect me not to knock them down. Uh, it's probably because I called you illiterate. Now you have to come back with a pun. Yeah, you read so, what you sow, bitch. Yeah, well, shut up. Anyways, our next story has to deal with the crow. James Jack Huston has been. Yeah, you cast. take the names this time. Yes, Jack Huston has been cast as the crow. Now he was recently cast in uh, Tikmer Ben. Tipper Benmatov's Ben. Yeah, how do you like it now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what's worse is I actually wrote the name out phonetically. Oh, <laughs> and I don't even do that. <laughs> he was cast in Timur Benmatov's Ben Hur remake, which is you know going to take place. And also, he was widely known for being Richard Harrow on Boardwalk Empire, which right. was a fantastic job. Uh, but series creator James Obar confirmed to Dread Central that he will be cast as the title role in the upcoming reboot. And my only thing is, I remember Luke Evans left the project in January. My only thing is, do we really need a Crow reboot? Like, do we really need Because a lot of people have said this. Like, why are you guys doing this? Why are you rebooting this? It seems interesting because, I mean, I'm not saying I didn't like the original, but I wasn't like, man, I wish they could have done another one of those either, you know? I just wasn't all about it. And keep in mind, Luke Evans left this to play Gaston. In the Beauty and the Beast live action adaptation. Well, so a little less hardcore there. Well, I mean, once you, well, I mean, you once you get that Disney money, though, you know that that's all you need. Like well, we say, you can be like I'm attached to a certain project, but like, what's that? The mouse wants to pay me how much to be who? Yeah, and what? Uh, uh, Watson. No one pays like Gaston. No yeah, one makes blank like, like Gaston. No one leaves movie projects like Gaston. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it, it does make sense. And I think that maybe even Luke Evans thought, you know, why am I doing this? Yeah. Again? It, yeah, it's just, I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, Huston's a great great actor. I mean, we'll see what he does. Ford Hardy's but... the director on the project. So Yeah, I mean, again, we'll, we'll see. Now, James, how do you say that last name again? That would be Hardy. No, no, I'm talking about the other one, the, the Ben Hur guy. Oh, the, I wasn't even paying attention. I was just watching you fall over yourself. 
Timur Bekmantov. Okay. Timur Bekmantov. All right. See, now we're in business. All right. Now, so speaking of being in business, the CW's been in business with their line of shows from Arrow, The Flash, and they got a couple other ones they're kind of thinking about doing as well. One of them, well, actually is being thought of as a Friday the 13th uh, TV show. Now, franchise creator and Helmer Sean Cunningham revealed during this past weekend's Monster Mania, he said that a proposed Friday the 13th TV series is picking up steam, and they're already coordinating a network to host it, and that network happens to be the CW, and they've expressed interest in it as well. Now, here's my question to you, James. The They said that the focus would be on the real-life city of Crystal Lake, and the series would explore how the fictional Crystal Lake from Friday the 13th film series affected the real city and its inhabitants. Mm-hmm. So now my question to you is, is there real, I don't know, like honestly, I don't have a map or, I mean, I have Google hand me right now, but I'm not going to search it right now. I don't know if they're talking like, this is going to be like a live reality. There's an actual town called Crystal Lake. We're going to see how that affected that town. Or are we doing a whole Wes Craven new nightmare thing where, you know, it's the real world, but Jason or, or Freddy shows up. You know what I'm saying? I think it's that one. I think it's the latter. I, th- I think that's what it's going to be. And they said it's going to reimagine Jason in a grounded reality, which is, I don't know if you can really do that. And I think I think that this is all due to the success of Bates Motel on A&E. Yeah. They're reimagining Psycho in that way, so they're going to try and do a reimagination of Friday the 13th. And Hannibal as well. Don't forget about that. And Hannibal as well, yeah. So I think that that's what's, what's bringing all this up. But I mean, it's an interesting choice to go with the Friday the 13th. My thing is, is there really is there really a want for this? I mean, there's like 1,600 movies. <laughs> I mean, the story's been told so many times. There's They've already gone so many angles. Is there another angle to really play here anymore? There is, and here's why. Because they don't want to do... They, they even said they don't... They, instead of, this is, they're doing a TV show instead of another movie. And here's the thing. People, I think... Uh, when it comes like the Jason movies, like we're getting another Texas Chainsaw, like they actually announced it. Yeah, we're getting yeah, another one. I can't one. believe that either. And I'm like, why? Like we don't need another one. Like it's like you know, it, you know, it's like oh, we had Texas Chainsaw at the beginning, then like the the new Texas Chainsaw, and then it's like stop. Just, just could stop. you imagine? Could you imagine if TLC decided to do a series that said Little People Texas Chainsaw? <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna do it, do something like that. I mean, that would be a different angle on it for sure. Yeah, I think there's already a show for that called American Horror Story, though. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Without uh, the makeup, of course. Ah, uh, yes. But, uh, no, it's, it's here's the thing. Like, you look at the horror genre, and it's really, really hurting. Horror genre, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's had, I don't want to say it's ups and downs, but it's, I'll say this, it's been developed in a variety of ways over a span of time. For example, you go back to the 70s and the 80s, horror was more shocking. Like you had, you know, I Spit on Your Grave. You had, you know, um, The Last House on the Left and everything Mm -hmm. else. Then you go to the 80s and part of the 90s, you had the slasher films. You had, you know, know, a new line. Children of the Corn mixed in there too, which is super creepy. But you had the new line era. You had, Mm -hmm. you know, Freddy and the whole new line era coming. It's, you know, uh, Chucky and Child's Play and all that other stuff. And, you know, and then a little bit of the Omen, stuff like that. And then you get into now, uh, it's the found footage. It's the demonic torture porn thing. And honestly, to me, this is kind of maybe a little bit of a refresher because it's kind of like, okay, we're going back to that kind of slasher thing, 
Maybe you know, want to be more more grounded, stuff yeah. like that. I mean, this is gonna be Jason takes Manhattan where he knocks the guy's head to clean off his shoulders, mm-hmm. you know, with an uppercut. That's the key, though. I, I want to just—I don't mean to cut you off, but I think you just hit on a very good point. For me, part of the problem with a lot of, especially modern horror, is the gore factor. I'm not a big gore factor guy. Right. So the fact that this is going to be on television, I think, cuts that in half, for lack of a better term. It really just makes it so you're not going to get that huge gore factor. And I think that'll make it more watchable for a more wider audience. I think that's a great point on your part. Well, I think also, I mean, he's not going to, like, in the movies, he's not going to stick an arrow through somebody and just go up with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, the I mean, arrow might still go through. But the yeah. rest will be left to the imagination. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll see some. We'll seriously see some stuff. I mean, look at what NBC did with Constantine. Everybody's like, oh, oh yeah, you know, oh, we yeah. also be watered down. And we got a bunch of stuff out of that. But I mean, we'll see how it goes. We'll see what happens with that. And I, I'm very excited and really willing to see how this goes. Yeah, and I think that partially that's why I'm going to give it a shot because of all those reasons we just talked about. And and I've never been a huge Friday the Thirteenth guy. Obviously, I've seen some of the movies, but at some point, I said enough was enough. Um, but yeah, I think that given those reasons, I'm willing to give it a shot. I'm open-minded. Yeah. Now, our last story, James, is a bit of a controversy. It's something that's been going around, blowing up social media and everything else. And uh, Rafael Albuquerque, uh, who did the variant for Batgirl, he did the Killing Joke variant uh, cover for Batgirl. This month is DC's celebrating the month of the Joker, pretty Also, much. he did the Endgame tie-in uh, one-shot for Batgirl as well. Yeah, so he had this come out, and of course... You know, people were you know offended by it. They're like, "Oh, all this, this, and this," and they thought it promoted a rape culture and everything else. And I, before I let you go and you know take the ball and go with it, co-writer Cameron Stewart and he both took to Twitter to clarify the reference to threats of violence and harassment in DC Comics' statement uh, concerning the cancellation of the Batgirl variant cover. There was no threats towards them. It was more of the people who were objecting to the cover got threats. Now, I want to say that yeah. that's, that's, that, that's the big problem. I think as nerds, don't resort to violence. Like, like you know, do if you're going to protest something or, you know, get upset at someone, don't threaten violence. As soon as you threaten violence against somebody, you lose your argument and you make us look bad. What we've been through as nerds in our lives, too, to even go there to somebody else, if you've ever been, you know, bullied... As a child, when you were growing up a nerd, that's a shame on you moment right there. I'm sorry. Yeah, and so Albuquerque said, he goes, My Batgirl variant cover artwork was designed to pay homage to a comic that I really admire and I know is a very is a favorite to many readers. The Killing Joke is a part of Batgirl's canon, and artistically, I couldn't avoid portraying a traumatic relationship between Barbara Gordon and the Joker. For me, it was just a creepy cover that brought up something from the character's past that I was able to interpret artistically but it has become clear that for others it's such a very important nerve i respect these opinions and despite whether the discussion is right or wrong no opinion should be discredited now he did he was the reason that he pulled this dc did not pull it he said we he asked it. yeah he asked now here's my thing I'm, I'm disappointed in him for this reason when you read what i just said where he says my reasoning for this is to pay homage to a comic that i really admire and I know his favorite many readers, and he goes on to why he did it. As an artist, your art is all you have. You need to stick behind your art. And art is going to be offensive in different forms. Whether people think of it represents one thing or another, it's all assumptions in a sense. And I've read Killing Joke. I bought it the other day. As have I. And, you know, we'll get to the scene in in question you know, a little bit later in this story, but I just want to say that, you know, as an artist, all you have is 
your art. And you have to, I think, today take a stance of, okay, this is what my original reasoning for doing this was. And I'm sticking behind it. I'm going to release it anyways. That's what you got to do. Because I think that shows more that, you know, you won't take the voices of the hundreds of people, whomever, who are saying it represents this and this and this, who obviously more likely haven't read The Killing Joke at all and assumes things that happened that didn't happen. And you let down the thousands of people who have read it and you pretty much trample all of your original reasoning for creating the piece in the first place. And with that being said, I'll let you go with it, James. I think we'll just say right off the bat that sexual assault is never okay. No. I mean, there's never any avenue in which it's okay. So I just want to get that out of the way right now before I go on this. First of all, if you've read The Killing Joke, everybody interprets art differently. And I think that that is part of the problem here. And if the voice of the outraged, they always outweigh the voice of the logical on social media. Once they take over, stuff like this is going to happen. But here's the deal. I don't think anybody was raped in The Killing Joke at all. It was it was it cool what the Joker did? Absolutely not. It was one of the most brutal stories and scenes in comics. Like Nick said, we'll get that to that a little bit later on. But the Batgirl character was very stale at the time. People might not remember. And just look at how strong Barbara Gordon's character became after this happened. She persevered through this whole thing, as did Commissioner Gordon, who was also stripped nude, by the way, and forced to look at these images. But she became Oracle, who was one of the smartest and strongest females in comics. Right. Not just in DC. And plus, let's let's not forget, we're forgetting about the fact that this is a variant cover. It has to be ordered. It's specific. It was not the mainline cover. And variants, for people that say, well, she's such a strong character and they're reinventing her. Why would they do this? It doesn't go with the story. Because variant covers don't go with the story nine times out of ten. It doesn't go with the current storyline. It's just a different line. For people that might not buy the book in the first place, it's almost like buying a print. So... To say that the, so I'm so the Lego variants, I guess, have something to do with the main story when they do Lego variants for DC Comics. Maybe it should have been a Lego issue. No, it doesn't work that way. And the other thing that's driven me crazy is, I saw on social media people were saying, well, she's crying on the cover and that shows vulnerability. And why would they do that? If it was a man on the cover, there'd be an outrage. And hold on just a damn minute right there. For those of you who don't know your damn comic book history, let me give you a little refresher. It's called Crisis on Infinite Earths number 7, where Superman is holding Supergirl's dead body on the cover, and I don't know what you think those little lines on his face are that were drawn. Looks like he's crying to me. And how about Batman holding a lifeless Robin in his arms on the cover of Death in the Family? His face is totally blacked out, too, by the way. Not to mention, in the comic I reviewed months ago, which was what if the X-Men died on their first mission, the cover is Xavier crying and weeping, saying, I killed them all. Cyclops is crying on the cover of one of the uh, yeah of one of the X Men covers from Marvel as well. Here's my thing, and and this is a, a take on society as well. We we have to stop looking at a guy or a girl crying as a sign of weakness. Let's see it as a sign of being human and having feelings. If you have emotions, I mean, I I'm I'm where my I'm wearing my emotions on my sleeve. I will freely admit that I'm not afraid to cry at all. Same. And sometimes that's you know sometimes people will say that's to my detriment, but. 
it's just who I am. I'm not going to, I can't stop that. And when, and it made me uneasy watching what was happening to Barbara Gordon in the killing joke. I think that was the point because that's how sadistic the Joker is. If anything, they're being true to the character. And I also want to point out, you know, you mentioned like people look at an image and we, I talked about this too. People look at an image and they'll think something happened that most likely did, did it because it didn't show it. People will read a, a word bubble or something and think something is happening especially towards the end of what he does to Barbara Gordon. And mm-hmm. my thing is this. Now, people don't get twisted. You know, James said, well, look what she became. She became Oracle. And I know they're probably saying, oh, so somebody has to get raped to be, you know, become this something bigger. That's not what we're saying at all. No, That's like what I said, saying. sexual assault is never okay. And, and I want to say this. Sexual assault is a horrific thing. I've known people. We both know people personally who've been affected by it. Yes. And... But my thing is this, if, by putting it in other serious life-altering issues and things like comics, it serves as a way to address a real-world issue, and it gives a look at a right. problem within the society. I mean, that's just why... Like, just like the, the teenage drug issue with the Green Lantern, Green Arrow thing, when they brought that up. And that was controversial at the time, but it was bringing something to light that was a real problem. Uh, Deadpool, a few issues ago, I think it was like issue 40 or something like that, he, he did it. It was a whole fracking issue. Yeah. And by not doing putting things like that in, what we're doing is we're putting blinders on and we're giving ourselves a sense of this can't happen to me because it doesn't exist because I'm choosing to ignore it. And then you, you'll turn back around and say, well, why is it people are people addressing this? And then you get pissed when people do. And granted, like I said, now people who haven't seen the picture, you probably have. It's him with the gun over his over her arm, kind of like, you know, his arm. Oh, we're going to talk about that in a second, too. Yeah. And, you know, it's like. That's how anybody would feel if somebody had a gun. You didn't know it was a psychopath. That's how anybody would realize. And again, the and real issue is the people who are getting the, th- the threats from. That's not cool. Yeah. And now I can see, I can see people's argument if this was the main cover. Right. I can see an argument because right. because it's like you want to go with more of a young adult audience, but that doesn't go with the story. That's fine. Right. Then it doesn't make sense exactly. But by but, but yeah, I remember that by banning the cover, you're creating more of a demand, and people want what they can't have. Not only that, but yeah, it brings to light something that you know wouldn't normally be brought to light in the first place. So you're actually giving something attention to something that you don't should be, you don't think should be there. And here's the other thing: don't give me the whole well, the gun's pointing down towards her genital area. First of all, if you put your arm over somebody's shoulder. Your arm, your wrist is automatically going to slope downward. Yeah. If you're not putting your arm all the way, actually, if you do put your arm all the way around them, your arm's going to slope downward as well. So, and Joker's not the "I'm going to hold the gun to your head" kind of guy, unless it's the whole bang thing and it's and it's a joke. Joker is all about the mind games. Mm-hmm. It's all about the "Hey, I'm here, I'm right behind you" kind of thing. And that was the whole point of doing it that way. It was a total coincidence. Okay. There was nothing implied there. I'm not the artist, but I'm pretty darn certain that there was nothing implied there. And speaking of implications, people can read the killing joke joke and imply that Joker or someone raped Barbara Gordon in that issue. I didn't get that interpretation. No, and we'll talk about that scene right now. So what happens is the killing joke is pretty much, it's the actual, it's the graphic novel where Barbara Gordon becomes paralyzed. And what happens is she's talking to her, she's with her dad in like an apartment, and she answers the door, and Joker just boom, automatically just shoots her right then and there. Yeah. Uh, she falls through a glass table. Jim Gordon gets beaten up by him by some of Joker's thugs. He gets taken away. Joker then, when he does, he starts stripping Barbara Gordon. Mind you, she's lying there bleeding on the floor, asking, you know, why are you doing this? And then he says, you know, 
uh, you know, here's to crime and stuff like that. And then it just, you turn the page and it's something totally different. Uh, then what they do is Gordon is, Jim Gordon is stripped naked by these little minions in this like fun land that Joker bought. Amusement mile. Yeah. Yeah. And he's put in the, this car ride. Now by the car ride, I mean like, you know, you go through the doors and there's like things like a pop tunnel up of love kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And Joker it wants to make him snap. So what does he do? He takes all the pictures of Barbara Gordon that he took when she was lying there bleeding to death, hangs them up all over the place while Gordon's going through this ride and he's freaking mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, in all of those photos that they show, yes, she is naked. Yes, she is bleeding on the floor. However, in none of those photos is Joker doing anything to her. No. You can apply whatever you want, because again, I said it earlier, art is interpreted differently by everyone. So you can apply whatever you want. That's not the implication that I got. And here's what here's what else we're missing. This is a superhero world with super villains in it. Even though Batman's has always been grounded a little bit more in reality than others, crazy and unthinkable things are going to happen in these worlds. Nobody's that evil. You know, yeah. the Joker is the ultimate crazy messed up evil guy and to do something like that and let's yeah let's not gloss over the fact that gordon was stripped too commissioner gordon was stripped as well so let's not just gloss over that yeah and and is it a form of sexual assault yeah it probably could be considered that absolutely but and and does it make it does that make it okay no it doesn't make it okay because he's the friggin' joker and it's none of the stuff that he does is okay setting off a toxin and kill it trying to kill millions of people in gotham isn't okay either, by the way, but it's still based in a fictional reality as much as that's an oxymoron. But, you know, as comic book readers, we dive so far into this stuff, it becomes a reality. But there's people that haven't read The Killing Joke or haven't read comics at all, that, and those are a majority of the people that are jumping on this saying, how dare you, because they don't realize what a variant cover is. And that's exactly, but you also have people who have read The Killing Joke who they'll see, like, people point out this you know, did he or didn't he kind of a thing. And then they'll go back and reread it and they'll come back and say, oh yeah, he totally did. Basically what you're doing is this. When somebody points out something and says, go reread it and, you know, and you'll see that that he did rape her, you'll have that mindset because you're looking for something. You're looking for that. that. It's like that stupid thing that like 1,800 of your friends on Facebook post on, on on their walls is like, Click like when you find the cat. Well, once you know where the cat is, it's all you can see. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's, it's hidden pretty well, but once you find it, it's all you can see. That's what's happening here. Once that, and, and this is all in literature too, once you, a certain thing is, or, 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 or idea is imprinted into your mind, and especially when it comes to like people talking about certain lit- literature, you automatically are focused on that yes, aspect. Absolutely. Like, like I said, and I'll say this. I up until yesterday I haven't read The Killing Joke. I bought it yesterday and literally read it and I didn't go in with the mindset of oh he didn't do this. I went with the mindset of I'm going to read it cuz James and James was there too. James can attest to this. When he told me what happens to Barbara Gordon in Killing Joke and I we mentioned about the you know we're doing the prep for this. What was my reaction when I looked up the photos and some of the panels of those scenes. You were shocked. I was mortified. As was I. As was I when I read it. I'm not saying that it wasn't a mortifying thing. It totally was. That's the point. I was mortified. That is the point. And mind you, mind you, 
after I looked at those, I did not instantly, I did not at once say she was raped by a Joker. I will say that my wife, who doesn't read comics, I told her the story, showed her the cover, and then I told her what happened in The Killing Joke, and she said, you know, why did they pull the cover? Yeah. And I said, that's what we're trying to say. Art is supposed to be interpreted differently by everyone. And yes, sometimes art is going to strike a nerve. There's been art, not necessarily comic book art, but there's been art that I've seen throughout my lifetime that I was offended by. But I didn't go to the museum docent and say, you know what? We need to take that down because that's terrible. And you were making a point about, you know, let's just go throw sheets all over the nude statues or paintings that are hanging in the Smithsonian because that could offend somebody. Yeah, let's, you know, that's the thing. It's like getting a cover canceled or, or, or trying to get a certain thing of art pulled because it's offensive to you. You're losing the entire meaning of art. Art is supposed to be looked at. And yes, while it's meant to be loved. It's also at times can be offensive to certain people. Right. Now, here's the thing. You know, you can see a, a naked statue and somebody say, well, that's beautiful. You know, that's, that's celebrating the human body. Some will say that's filth, that's pornographic, and they'll pick a sheet over it. And it's like that's what they people did who got this cover pulled by the – or who made the – and who had the artist's parents come to the decision of he needed himself needed to pull it was – you know, they were like, I'm offended. I'm putting a sheet over it. That's what they did. They put the sheet over the comic. Right. And now, granted, while you can post it, you know, digitally and stuff like that and make it like a profile picture or whatever, right. you can't, you know, you can, you know, my thing is I kind of want to blow. It's such, because it's such a good It's piece. impactful. It's impactful. Sure. And and the thing is, you know, on social media, mind you, we did a lot of research on this before we came on here and talked about this. And we look at all the comments on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, and even a lot of our artist friends, a lot of our artist friends said, this is such a great, great piece. And, and there are women that did not want this pulled, by the yeah, way. Yeah, there are this a lot of not women. just men. There are a lot of women who said, you know, we didn't want to see this pulled. As a comic book fan, you know, this is celebrating an important part in her timeline. And, of course, you're going to have those people that say, oh, it's what a typical man thing to say. Go on Twitter yourself and read what women yeah. are, are yeah. putting down there. We do our due diligence. Then if you're going to disagree with us, you need to do yours, too. Here's something else that I just thought of. Yeah. Uh, let's take the Mona Lisa. Okay. And before you think this is too far-fetched, think about the progression with Molinaro's cover and now this one, where we're going here. Yeah. There's been debate over time that the Mona Lisa is actually a self-portrait of Da Vinci. Okay. Uh, some people believe that. Some people believe it's just a nice painting of, of of a beautiful woman. So, what if we do find out that this that this was in fact a self portrait of Da Vinci in a way as a woman? Well, somebody's going to say, "I don't like seeing cross dressing on my art wall. I think the Mona Lisa should be removed because right. any kind of man dressing up as a woman is offensive to me." Now, as as who do you think you are? As you as you think that might sound. How do you know that's not the direction we're going here? Because something's going to offend everybody. Yeah. If enough people get offended by it on social media, all of a sudden, where where's our art going? And, and that's the thing. That's the scary thing about art. Like I said, the thing is, we understand. Like we know people in the industry. And we're gonna have Matt Slay on in a little bit. And the thing is, is this. You know, my question is, you mentioned where is art going? It's like, are people becoming offensive only because? They want to be on the right side, the quote unquote right side of the argument where they won't have people th- attacking yes, them and they want to yes. be safe. 
Is that it? Because people want to be safe nowadays, so it's no. easy. And it's easier because honestly, in today's day and age, especially when it comes to art and from what it looks like, it's easier to stand up and be against a piece of art than to stand up for said piece of art. I, I agree with you, but at the same time, I think it's more than that. I think it's people. Everybody's looking for a cause to champion now. Yeah. And anytime something starts to get a little bit trending on Twitter, which this did big time, anytime this trends start. Everybody picks a side, and what do people pick? They pick the popular side because they want to. They it's running with the cool kids all over again, but this time it's for championing a cause. Now I will say we reached out to Rafael Albuquerque on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did not get a response from him. We did ask him if he was asked to paint this as a commission at a con. Would he do it? We did not get a response from him. We know he's a very busy guy. We're not saying he's dodging our question or anything like that. Um, but if we ever do get a response from him, we will let you know. Facebook.com/slash Down and Nerdy. I don't want anybody to walk away with this, from this thinking that we're, again, sexist or taking the side of the man or thinking that sexual assault is okay. That is not what's happening at all. Yeah. What we're saying is be careful what direction you're going because this was, again, a variant cover, just like the Molinaro one was for Spider-Woman. Yeah. A variant cover that some people interpreted differently and art is meant to be interpreted. And if we keep pulling these covers... All of a sudden, we're going to end up with nothing but blank covers. And when I said, you know, when I said I was disappointed in Rafa, what I meant was, as a, I never met him, so I'm not going to judge him as a person. But as an artist, I think that's key. That's very, very big. I think. You know? Well, I'm going to tell. I'm going to say this right now, and I, I don't want to speak for you, so I'll just speak for me, and I'll let you do the same okay. when I'm done. There could be people that are going to hear what we're talking about right now, and, and could be greatly offended, and that's fine. Yeah. But I'm standing by everything I say right now. Exactly. I'm not going to apologize. Nope. It's how I feel. It's how I interpreted it. Your opinion matters just as much as mine. Okay? I can have my opinion just like you can have your opinion. So just because we disagree about something doesn't make me a bad person. Right. And it doesn't make me a sexist person. I just interpreted it differently. And I think that artists should be given freedom to do what they will with their work. I mean, political cartoonists never get this kind of crap. Yeah. Some of their stuff can be pretty controversial. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, you look at this and my thing is, is I'm not going to apologize for anything I've said during this at all, because what I said, at least to me, I feel is true. And it's educated. Yeah. And this is researched material. Yeah. And you know, and here's the thing. You're going to disagree with me. You might tweet me or whatever, message us, say, hey, I didn't like what you guys said. And that's your opinion. Please do. At James Ace, uh, at James Ace with him, by the way. And at, at James Ace with him is my Twitter handle. Nick? At Merck with one arm. Tweet us at down and nerdy 7572. I'm not afraid to debate you no, on No, but the, and here's the thing. Now, if you want to have a mature conversation about it, that's fine. Yeah. But the moment you get to name calling, the moment you get to threatening us, yeah, that's I'm blocking your ass. We're done. Yeah, yeah. we are done uh, with, with with you. And that's the thing. It's like I said, we know some of the things we say on this show might not sit well with a lot of people. But you know what? It's our opinion. It's our views. You know, it's right. what we do the show for. And you know. bottom line, if you don't like it, don't buy it. And apparently a lot of people like it because we've been told by people what they like about the show is that we're not afraid to go certain areas and say certain things and push you not push the envelope but go in areas where not a lot of people might go. If I'm going to I'm going to just say this and I never want to lose any listeners, absolutely not. I love all of our listeners in six continents that were listened in. 
But if you want a stale show that's afraid to give their opinions and doesn't want to go out on a limb and talk about real issues in comic books and nerd culture, go find another show. Because, I mean, we're, we have the balls to actually tackle some real-life stuff here. We have a lot of fun, too, but we have the balls to tackle some real-life stuff. That's just what we do here on Down and Nerdy. Yeah, and like I said, you know, so like our final thoughts on this, on this variant, like I said, it's a variant. And, you know... A lot of shops don't put their variants covers up on the wall. No, you have to order them specially. Now, there's, you know, like Bob at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards does have a, have some variants up, especially if it's a hot issue like Darth Vader number one just yep. came out, Star Wars variants he has up there. And the numerous uh, Spider-Man number one variants. Right, exactly. So, I mean, some comic shops do, so... But you're right. Most of the time, this is not a common practice. It's people that are saying that go and look at the preview issue that, you know, we'll, we look through as well when we want to pre-order our comics and say, oh, I like that variant. Give me that one. Yeah. And they're more money. Yeah. yeah you like, have to pay more. Yeah. They're like 30 bucks in some places. I mean, you know, like I said, but my thing is, is just a, it's just this. Like I said, it's a very, you have to order it yourself. You know, art is meant to be both. Honestly, it's meant to be both looked at and criticized by all, pretty much. In yes, a sense. that's th- art throughout it's life, never, it's before not, comic books. And, and the, to me, this isn't a censorship issue because he himself pulled it. It's not like yes. DC pulled it. So right. I'm not saying it's he, a censorship issue. Now, we're not saying DC wouldn't have pulled it. They probably would have, thanks to the public outcry, because, you know, they've pulled shirts. They've pulled, Marvel's pulled comics as well. Yeah. Eventually, it probably would have led to that. But I, I would have liked to see an Albuquerque stand up for his work. Yeah, but uh, again, hey, you know, if you don't like it, don't buy it. Yeah, and th- art is meant to be controversial. Exactly, and that, that's what the variants are. They're meant to be bought, not like, hey, I got Batgirl on my pole. Oh, I got to have this. I have to have like this variant's gonna be a part of it. Like, no, you can be like, I got Batgirl on my pole, but I want the variant issue. You can do that. You and know. One final thought is that again, I want to reiterate that if this was the mainline cover, if this would have been the cover for Batgirl number 41, we would have been on the total opposite side of this issue. We would have been for let's change this cover, even though we're not for censorship, we would have been for change the cover mainly because it doesn't fit the main storyline, yes. not for any other reason. However, I would have said let's put it as a if you want to do it as a variant, that's fine. Yes, exactly. But that's what going to do it for Nerd News this week. Speaking of art, one of the best artists that we know. We got Matt Slay coming up next on Down and Nerdy. And now it's that time to light the fireplace, pour out the oh, glass of brandy, yeah. maybe turn on the sweet sensual sounds All of right. Demo Burger, because as we now seduce the innocent, which means Matt Slay is here! Yay! <laughs> that's right. My, uh, my ever-growing and mildly disturbing obsession with uh, pre-code books and Seduction of the Innocent. Yes. How, how is that book going, by the way? People don't know, Seduction of the Innocent is this book that Matt has that has all these different artists' autographs and drawings in it. How's it going with that book? And also, who's the newest edition? Oh, gosh. Uh, the book is out of control. It's been out of control for a long time. Um, <laughs> I think I've taken it to every convention I've done for going on four years now. Definitely. And um, I'm at 178 signatures and drawings. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for the most part, everybody just kind of flips through it and laughs, and they can't believe they're actually holding a copy of it. And uh, then the drawings just kind of get out of hand. Yeah, we, we saw that at the college. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, uh, I think at one point, I think I saw somewhere that you were trying to get it authenticated or something, and the CGC yeah. actually 
said that it was the that it was a fake. So you were in a possession of the best fake autograph and sketchbook of all time. I am. It is mine, and I'm cursed to keep it forever. Um, there was a there was kind of a dry period where I wasn't getting any, you know, long term work, and I was thinking, you know, if, if I'm gonna, you know, keep the dungeon running, I've got to sell something. So what what could I get rid of? And I didn't want to get rid of anything because I started that book for me just because I'm a history nut. Right. And I always thought, it, how funny would it be to get the book that you know started the Comics Code uh, signed by every living or otherwise, you know, artist, writer, publisher, editor. I don't care if you were a letterer in the 80s or 70s. I, <laughs> I want you in there. You know? yeah. I don't care what it is. If, you, if you've made your life about comics, I want a nice autograph ask middle finger to the guy who tried to shut us down. There you go. There you go. We're talking to our good friend, comic book artist, Matt Slay. And, you know, so people were wondering, why did you mention Demu Burger in the intro? <laughs> <laughs> and Matt and I were talking yesterday, and he said, well, tell them why, why Demu Burger is being mentioned today, Matt. Okay, so many moons ago, one of my first jobs after college was I worked at Best Buy, like everybody wants to work at Best Buy. <laughs> yep. Um, and we did such a good job one year that they gave us all Xboxes. And this is when the Xbox was like a brand new thing. Uh, but it was already kind of late to the game. But anyway, um, I'm the fighting game guy. I love fighting games. But there weren't any games out. So the game they gave me was Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> you being such a beach volleyball connoisseur. Right, you know. And because it was related to a fighting game. So what do corporate people know? So they gave me that. And I thought, well, as long as it's free, I'm going to play it and find out. So my girlfriend at the time, we would sit there and play beach volleyball and feel really ridiculous. But there was a cool feature where you could go to the, the Silly Islands radio station and load up your own music. <laughs> oh, wow. So when <laughs> you could load up your own music and uh, the Silly J-pop island theme Britney Spears type of stuff that was already preloaded in the game was just sort of nauseating to me. So I thought, how much fun would it be for anyone who comes into the lobby to try and play me online as soon as the game starts? Progenies of the Great Apocalypse by Jimmy Borger. <laughs> I, need, I need that song to usher in the characters of this game. Oh, my gosh. So I... it, was, it was so jarring and so alarming and just, well, I don't know, evil enough. That, that was your way to psych them out. Right there. Yeah, no, it got in their heads, and people were just like, "Turn the crap off!" And they're losing. You know, it's awesome. It, it literally made me want. I literally messaged managers. I said, "I want to play a game of volleyball, Top Gun style." Now, oh, that's right. that that's happening. That's totally happening now. Bring the and jean shorts. I'll bring I, the oil. How did I reply? <laughs> With the uh, Iceman slash Val Kemmer bite. That's right. Yes. That's totally happening. Next time Matt's in Virginia Beach, that's totally happening. Well, well like I said, it. man, I'll bring the jean shorts. You bring the oil, buddy. We'll go at it. We're going to sell tickets. We're going to raise some money for somebody. <laughs> I'm, 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 yeah. going, I'm going cutoffs. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> George? Like, You're going to rock the George? It's happening. It's <laughs> totally like happening. the 1980s style, or 70s style NBA jean short collection kind of thing. <laughs> this, is, this is becoming a worse idea. We need to dig up. <laughs> dig up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, so as you mentioned, Matt, you're in your, your three-story dungeon, as you, as you mentioned. That's what you call your house, actually. Yes. Um, so we, we, you sent us a little bit of three-story last night, and we read it. <laughs> And, oh gosh, it was, it was so funny. It was hilarious. You're not gonna get spilled on the air, are you? You're not gonna like 
piss off too many people with my silly <laughs> rant. No, if we haven't <laughs> pissed off too many people by now, I don't think that it's going to happen. That's well, the spirit. <laughs> so one of the cool things that that about the concept is you you're it's 52 chapters and you're pretty much said you know it's 52 weeks in a year so pretty much a chapter per week in a sense so what was the idea behind that making it 52 chapters to represent the 52 weeks in your life in a sense this was an idea that was born much in the way i don't know i'm gonna i'm not gonna compare myself to hunter s thompson but i am gonna believe for two seconds that i was kind of fidgeting in his brain when we were at a drink and draw after a show and there were a group of fans who were waiting for me and didn't get a chance to get to me. This was back when I was doing Ninja Turtle stuff and they said, Oh, well, we got to leave tomorrow morning. And I said, well, we're going to the drink and draw. Just come hang out with me. You know, it, it, this isn't like, this isn't Hollywood. You, you don't have to like pay $40 just to stand in a line. Mm-hmm. You know, we're artists and writers, man. We're here to make friends the same as we're here to paint. So just come hang out with us. And they were just like jaw drop. And the whole time while I was drinking more and more, and they just kept bringing me rum and Cokes like over and over. <laughs> and, uh, no, so it was great. And they said, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen at a show? And I said, you don't have that kind of time. Like I could write a book about the weirdest, craziest stuff that this life entails. And sometimes it's about watching cosplayers get into fights in the parking lot, which is like, over parking spaces, which is surreal. And you, you want to cheer for Spider-Man, but that Venom looks really cool, you know? <laughs> and sometimes sometimes it's about the deadline that you're really killing yourself to meet. You get an email from the publisher that says, well, we're actually going to need it three weeks sooner than we thought. And now you're freaking the hell out. Nice. And you try and make contact. And when you finally do, he says, oh, that went to the wrong person. But now you've done X amount more work, but it looks like crap mm-hmm. because there's a difference between good and good enough. Uh, and sometimes it's about I've been awake for 30 to 40 plus hours straight. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that's going on in my house is not really going on in my house. Um, so there are a million stories that I can tell, but I can't tell everything all at once. So I thought, what if I just wrote a book? about being an artist who lives the convention life and draws pretty pictures and puts them in funny books and, uh, you know, suffers the consequences. Uh, so, I mean, that's pretty much it. But some of this stuff is really serious. There are a lot of, uh, we'll call them issues that I'm addressing, and I call them comic controversies mm-hmm. because nice. they, always point, they always jump up at cons. One of the ones that jumps out that required two parts was whose fault is it? Um, I guess it was about a three month period where everybody was blaming everybody else for what's killing conventions mm-hmm. and vendors wanted to say that it was this and cosplayers wanted to say that it was that and artists and, you know, art dealers wanted to say that it was this and publishers are saying that it's that. And I thought, you know, there's really nothing killing conventions, mm-hmm. just this myth or this attitude that something is. And what it comes from is that particular show didn't go the way you wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what I tried to do was I took about a month and I did four shows in that month and I went into each one and tried to associate the most with either creators, fans, cosplayers, or vendors to see what the general consensus was with each one. And after that month, I was able to write that chapter and it ended up being two parts because everybody has a valid presentation to make. Everybody can win or lose at a show. Uh, and then, you know, some of those chapters are, like you said, the the one I sent you, 
which is adult themed and bizarre. Yeah. And- oh, very, very. <laughs> Let's just say it talks about the the amorous side of the of the cosplay world as there it were. There is an amorous side, and you know, I I love being trapped in the elevators with anybody who just wants to talk comics. But when you're the furry who just won't stop touching me, that would <laughs> I could do without that. I mean, so, if I could see your face, if I could just see who you are, <laughs> pretty much. So I'd at least be able to press charges. We've kind of touched on you, kind of touched on that in that chapter, but I'm, I want to know what's some of the really what talk about a really awkward moment that's happened to you at a con. Just I know there's a million. Pick one of your favorites. Oh, does it have to be comic related? Because no, no, no. Oh, good. Then this is way easier. Than, okay, good. Uh, in fact, there's a whole chapter just about this one thing because it was such a fantastic experience. Oh wow, here we go. I'm a Maryland boy, born and bred. Eastern Shore, webbed feet. You know, if, if I can't eat it with a hammer, it's not food. It's all oysters <laughs> and crabs. <laughs> um, so Baltimore Comic-Con is home. You know, the, the Virginia shows are always going to be home because this is where I live right now. Right, but right. any chance to go back to Maryland and stomp around and be a rowdy shore boy, that's all I need in life. So, of course, I'm a ridiculous Ravens fan. All right. Now, having said that, go to Baltimore Comic-Con last year. Uh, calendar 2014 that show had all the makings of greatness but it had two things going against it that really did affect it and this is nobody's fault it just kind of happened this way Mm -hmm. the orioles were playing at home during the playoffs oh that's a nightmare (laughs) right so there are no hotel rooms and there is no parking and then two days later the ravens are opening at home against the division champions so there are no hotel rooms and there is no parking yikes if you're not doing it on foot you're not doing it so, you know, there's a little bit of bitterness among creators about where is everybody? Well, for a Ravens fan, I'll tell you exactly where they are. Oh, that was a goat. Hold on. <laughs> Down on the farm with Matt Slay. Down on the farm with Matt Slay. Let's no, talk uh, about chickens. Every time, anytime my wife uh, texts me, a little goat noise goes off. That's, that's not her. That's like any text. Don't, don't read that. One. I was going to say, let's explore that later. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's a whole other chapter. So... It turns out I'm staying in a hotel that is connected to the convention center because it makes sense to do that. Uh, but so are the Cincinnati Bengals. And how are we with cussing on this show? <laughs> Very loose. Let it, let it go, man. Let it go. Any chance to fuck with a division champion of my beloved Ravens is yeah. money. There it is. So I'm standing in line to get in the elevator because it's late enough at night. Their bus had arrived. And whoever's in charge of wrangling very large professional football people mm-hmm. has decided that they're going to block off all the elevators until the team gets upstairs. Of course. And they're only using one of them two at a time. This isn't Noah's Ark. It's a damn hotel. Right. So stop putting them in two by two. So I try to go <laughs> in the elevator and this guy with a clipboard's like, no, 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 man, don't. And he puts his hands on me. I'm just like, no, 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 you don't touch. I can wait. I, I'm a guest here too. I could care less about, you know, our model, damn it. Now get out of my hotel. You know, just try to be a little bit <laughs> I, you know, I'm trying to play it cool, but at the same time, I really have to pee. Like, this is post-drinking draw. I need to get upstairs. Oh, like, dude. Soon. And uh, as soon as I take two steps back, two guys from the Bengals get in the elevator. And then as soon as Clipboard Man turns around, I just, like, ninja right behind him and into the elevator. And, the floor <laughs> <laughs> and, <I'm, laughs> and I, I turn around and look at them. I look up at them, by the way. I'm 5'10". These guys are, like, 9'53", or whatever, however ridiculous number isn't real but they're huge <laughs> and um yeah you know, i'm just like i'm not super fan trying to 
get in your elevator. I just need to go to the bathroom, man. And they're like, no, 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 it's cool. You, you know, for, sorry about that guy. He's just trying to do his job. And I said, I get it, but nature calls, bro. So they're cool. I'm cool. I turn around. I face the door. It's an awkward ride because I want them to lose. They didn't, but I wanted them to. And uh, we get to the floor. We're all on the same floor. Okay. Well, this is kind of neat. So we get out. The three of us walk, and every hotel is laid out the same way. When you get out of the elevator, you're going to have to walk about six feet and then choose left or right. Right. They go right. I go left. But as I'm walking left, sticking his head out the door is a little kid. And he's wide-eyed. He's super wide-eyed. And he's got a jersey in his hand. He's got a Cincinnati jersey in his hand. And he sticks his head back, and I can hear him whisper, there they go. There they go. (laughs) And he says – and I hear it, uh, it's got to be a dad. He's like, which one? Which one? I don't know, but he's, there's one coming this way. Well, get him. Get him. Okay. And he, he just, what do I say? And I'm getting closer and closer. And he says, just ask him if he'll sign it. So this little kid comes around the corner, hands me a Bengals jersey. And he says, will you sign my jersey? Absolutely. I would, <laughs> I would be happy to. Yes. No problem. And my signature is completely illegible anyway. Um, oh, my gosh. You know, I, and it, because I've always written James, but I go by Matt. It's the first name thing. I don't know. Um, so I can't read it. He can't read it. Nobody can read it. But boy, was he elated. He was just turning purple and kind of bouncing up and down. And, and I sign it, and I'm like, all right, man, enjoy the game. And I walk away, and he runs back. He's like, yeah, look. <laughs> I want this guy to know whoever he is, wherever he is, that a Ravens fan fucked up your man cave. <laughs> Did it burn your hand touching that orange and black? It felt so good to desecrate it. You have no idea. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Oh my so, God. I mean, right now, that's my weirdest con story, but I'm not dead yet. And something weirder is going to happen. Yeah. And there are a couple things that I'm almost, that are almost weird enough that I'm uncomfortable sharing on the radio. So as soon as the book is out, that's, that's how you're going to find you this go. stuff. Well, well, one of the things that, that uh, now mind you, the chapter is called No Wonder Woman, I Will Not Sleep With You <laughs> or Have Sex With You. Which yeah, is, No Wonder Woman, I Will Not Have Sex With You. No Wonder Woman, I Will Not Have Sex With You, which is great. And you write, but one of the things that caught me was that, you know, you talked about your wife earlier, you know, she texted you or whatever. <laughs> and uh-huh. you said that, you know, in the chapter, she's pretty much the most important thing to you at any convention. And you explained that how her being at cons with you is such a huge asset to you because she handles the business side. We were able to do your thing with the art. Um, there are so a lot of things I can't do at a show without her. Um, she's a she, she's a fan. She's a nerd like us, man. Yep. It's more Star Wars than comics. That's mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> she gets along with everybody just fine, and, and it helps to have a woman that beautiful. It, it's fantastic. When she is that gorgeous, people walk up to the table. I've got my brush in my hand, yeah. and they go to her and say, did you draw all these? so what's your favorite memory of your wife's con adventures hmm you know her her excitements go to different places than mine she's a big deadpool fan right so when you've done enough shows kind of tagging along and handling the business side of the show or building commission lists when i'm not at the table she's seen everything there is that has to do with deadpool Yes. Well, Deadpool's like Starbucks at a con. Wait five minutes, another one's going to be right there. Yeah. Right? I mean, now they have their own Deadpool for a while. Um, but she found somebody, and, and forgive me for not knowing the name, but it was a craft-type person, and she sewed and crocheted and made, you know, stuffed characters, and she spent three days trying to get over to that table to get the little stuffed, handmade, hand-sewn Deadpool. You know, <laughs> she sounded like such a little kid, and, and I... 
I kept trying to tell her, yes, we're going to go do that. We are going to go do that. I sounded like every other parent in the room. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's awkward or just adorable. I don't know if I have an awkward experience with her because she's just so incredibly cool about everything. Well, here's this, though. Has anybody you know? ever hit on your wife right in front of you at the table, and did you actually have to put a stop to it? No. No, nobody's hit on her while I was there, but they hit on her when I'm not. <laughs> the second you leave that table, there they are. You know, it's easy for them, and she's, I don't know how she plays it off. I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I met your wife, and she's, she's, she is awesome, dude. Like, she is really, really cool. But, I mean, that's, that's the thing. That's what I like about going to cons. And, you know, sadly, you're not going to be at Tidewater Con this year, though, um, which is a sad thing. Uh, I know, I know. I'm bu- I am bummed about that. I wanted to, I'm, I'm, plotting and scheming in my head how do i get in there where's the fire exits i want to come in and party with you <laughs> yeah right but you know what thing you're doing right now though matt is you're doing marvel retro so give us a little bit of background on that yeah marvel retro is a card set from upper deck but they're i don't crossover thing or not I've, I've got upper deck written in one place i've got clear written another but marvel retro is fantastic it's exactly the kind of thing that i've been wanting to do because you're looking at characters in their original costumes and it, it retro kind of gives the idea that it's only 20 or 30 years back but no, go all the way back. So it, it almost doesn't matter who they sent me. As long as I get to draw them in their original costume, I'm just excited to do it. And I haven't done a card set in uh, two or three years. I mean, I think the last one I worked on was Iron Man 3. Oh. Wow. As soon as that happened, that's when books started to really pick up. And and God bless Upper Deck, they'll email me all the time and say, hey, we really want you in on this thing. And i and I'll say, I'd really like to be in on that thing. But Icarus is in full swing. The preview book is on the way. And now I'm like halfway through production of the entire book. And Turtles has come to an end, but that filled up a lot of time and paid bills for a good long time. Commissions seem to be never ending right now. So I am trying to stay ahead of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've just, I've just been uh, unable to produce anything Marvel related for anybody, which is a bummer because that's how I started reading comics. But now you get to a point in a book where you're producing where there's enough of a script finished where you can just lay out pages for weeks and you're good to go. And shows, I've actually cut back on the number of conventions I'm going to be doing this year because of the workload of other things, other projects. These I will not list for who they are, but posters and album covers, things Mm -hmm. like that, that I really can't mention. The cards I don't mind because it's, it's comic related and it's so awesome that I'm just like psyched to get it done, mm-hmm. but I can't post anything really until they have uh, Marvel's approval. They do have to go oh, through of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. You talked about, uh, you talked about Icarus actually, uh, you mentioned it a couple times. And for those who don't know, it's Icarus, the graphic novel that's going to be coming out. Give people a little bit of a background on that in case they don't know what they can expect. Icarus was an idea that blew up big right out of the gate mm-hmm. and then hit a <laughs> massive speed bump as creator owns stuff kind of does this is indie publishing at its truest form it was a kickstarter and the stuff that we launched for it i it it made its budget in record time by leaps and bounds so greg wilson who wrote it took the icarus concept and just knocked it out of the park he created this massive super detailed world inside of a volcano what if all of life just existed inside of a giant volcano Wow. And then one day, out of the blue, somebody fell through the top of it. You know, here's somebody with wings who fell through the top. So it's not a literal translation of the Greek myth. It's, yeah, the guy's name is Icarus. And it's just sort of an allegorical 
what if somebody from the outside came to the inside and you find out slowly over time that this person from the outside has, I won't say violent, but perhaps nemesary, if I can coin a phrase, mm-hmm. um, like an almost nemesis relationship with somebody inside. And you have to find out over time why that's relevant. And in the middle of it all, you've got your hapless salt of the earth, rough and grumble tough guy who gets caught in the middle of it all. And now he's on this adventure. Wow. Well, so we mentioned rough and tough. Now, as guys, we tend to wear cologne. So I want to ask you this question, Matt. If you had your own cologne, what would it smell like? It would smell like Old Bay and Vengeance. (laughs) (laughs) Old Bay being the Maryland part, I was Right. Well, the reason why I say it is because I was watching a uh, I was watching a video last night. Everybody's been there like, reviewing all these like nerdy colognes, and there was a Batman one. And I'm like, what? oh, there's a Batman one, and I saw that the liquid was clear. I'm like, oh, so it's a bottle filled with Bruce Wayne's tears, and <laughs> it probably smells like vengeance, justice, and dead parents. Probably, probably. You know? <laughs> if you can bottle that. <laughs> <laughs> Do a couple well, ashes in there. Scientist, if anybody could. Yeah, you know, just. But shouldn't it be dark though? No, it was actually clear. Wouldn't you make it dark? That was the dark night. It is. is. Not that dark cologne would be sexy or anything, but, you know. (laughs) Yeah, Fifty Shades of Wayne, that's what we need. (laughs) Ah, yes, let's make that happen right now. (laughs) Uh, Switching gears a little bit, um, a little bit of sad news that came out about a week and a half, two weeks ago, was the uh, disappearance of Norman Lee and... Matt, he was a very, very good friend of yours. And rather than look at the sad side of it, let's look at the let's look at the bright side. What is your favorite story of you and Norman together that just brings a smile to your face every time you think about it? Every everything that Norman and I did together kind of makes me smile. He inked everything I did that was not for publication that I wasn't going to paint myself. He became a friend through Comic Art House and Bob Shaw. Very quickly, go back, I don't know, four four years. It had to be four or five years, probably going on five. We sat across from each other, and very quickly we developed a shorthand, telling jokes, riffing on each other. When you become friends at, at a show, you know, you can communicate with a glance of what's oh, going yeah. on. With you. Mm-hmm. And after that show, we sat together for everything. Every show that we were at together, we sat together. And um, and it was because we started turning out prints. Uh, you know, I would pr- my pencils change if I'm not going to p- paint a piece myself. My pencils become a lot more traditional, a lot more of what uh, a Marvel or a DC editor would want. It's very loose. It's different for me because I know where it's going. But working with him taught me to develop and produce for him, and his inks made everything sing. My pencils never looked as good as when Norm inked them. And I think the story that will always stick with me, because everything we did together, it was always a story, would be would have been Boston Comic-Con. Uh, the year that the Boston bombing happened, we were driving to Boston. And we were on the George Washington Bridge when the radio kept saying, are they going to shut the city down? Are they going to shut the city down? Well, no. You know, that's just media being media. It's, it's impossible for a city that size with so many inlets and outlets to simply close, and it would be detrimental to local economy to just shut down. But what they very much did was anything where large gatherings of people were an issue, the fire marshals would kind of say, okay, for safety reasons, we need to shut this off. Mm-hmm. I was staying at Norm's house 
And uh, if, if there was one thing that Bob and the guys from Boston Comic-Con were not going to allow, it was for the show to not go on. Too many people had put in too much time and effort to make sure that this went off without a hitch. And they definitely weren't going to allow something like this to kill their spirits. Right. And the city was clamoring for, you know, a positive venture. Right. So they put me and Norm and a whole bunch of people, basically every guest who stayed at the show, they put us all together in every comic book shop (laughs) within driving distance. And we kind of took the convention on the road. It was the most extraordinary thing. You want to talk about organizing a convention on the fly? Try doing it, a convention to go. I mean, uh, Norm and I went to Rubber Chicken. We went to Larry's. We went to every comic shop in, in and around Massachusetts. And we got to do a convention together with other artists who stayed to be a part of it. Uh, Nick Bradshaw, Jason David Frank was there. That was the first time I got to meet him. And, oh, wow. Uh, just, wow. That, was two, that was two weeks before my first black belt test. So, yeah, we had other things to talk about than comics, which was nice. But Norm was there the whole time, and he became such a guide. You know, you're new in this town. You don't know everybody, but I know everybody. And it didn't matter which store we were going to for whatever store signing or appearance or anything. He always found the restaurant with the best whatever it is. You want sushi? Oh, I know the place. Mm-hmm. You want Vietnamese? I know the place. You want barbecue? I know the place. And that whole weekend, I think, is the experience that makes me smile the most because that was when, you know, you feel the closest to somebody. It's easy to work with someone for many, many years and feel very, very close. Mm -hmm. But when so many creators were still in hotels arguing about, well, now I can't get on my plane and what about the show? It, It was so much easier for us to just disappear and do what we wanted to do and draw all night. And it was like being a little kid. It was like being a kid. And if, if Norm can't make you smile, then there's something wrong with you. Because mm-hmm. that kid's smile was infectious. Everything was the most positive and beautiful experience of your life when Norman Lee was in the room. So I, I really can't pick just one. But that year at Boston, when everybody just came together and just made it work, and I spent the whole weekend with Norm just making it work. That's something that I'll always have. That's amazing. So you had your, your superhero Mount Rushmore, Matt. Now tell us who's on your superhero Mount Rushmore. Okay. Um, this is something you guys did at Dave and Buster's, wasn't it? This was part of the yeah. live thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I listened to that because I listened to the show. And I, I kind of realized very quickly <laughs> that my head went in a totally different direction. Oh, uh, wow. And I'll need your I'll need your help. The guys who were actually debating this, I remember listening to them both, and I'm shaking my head no, but they had really strong cases. If I'm not mistaken, it was like Batman and Spider Man and Superman and Iron, I think like Iron Man was one and stuff like Profe- that. I think Professor X was in there at one point. Yeah, and my somebody somebody had Deadpool. Well. I think Deadpool is on everybody's, but he's the little guy in the corner with the cartoon Acme Plunger waiting to blow it up. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Right. So my head went somewhere completely different. And uh, I definitely wanted to share it because I think there's a side to this that so many people left out. All right. So this is my comics, my Mount Rushmore of comics. And I'm going to do these guys in chronological order when they were born. So number one, Thomas Nast. Uh, Thomas Nast was born in 1840. He's pretty much the father of American cartooning. Mm-hmm. 
um, by reinventing the political cartoon specifically to battle Tammany Hall. He introduced imagery as a voice for the public, as well as established comics as a narrative art form. Um, when he created, he, he's the guy who created the elephant and the donkey to tell the ongoing story of American politics. Nice. And he turned those into a social consciousness. And that's what comic books have become. They're the underpinnings and the visual blow it out of the water over the topness of social consciousness and awareness. Uh, side note, he also created the modern image of what we now know as Santa Claus. <laughs> you know, that was it. Wow. Uh, let's see. Number two, born in 1892, Hal Foster. Hal Foster in illustrating the Edgar Rice Burroughs stories and eventually creating Prince Valiant. Hal brought an unparalleled stability and sensibility to two-dimensional rendering for serialized consumption, which is what we're doing in comics. I mean, yes, it's an art form. Yes, it's, it is genuine literature at this point, but we, it is serialized consumption. <laughs> we're eating it in small doses. Yes. Um, and although the styles were very different, the stories he produced allowed more adult themes to be presented to the public that artists like Bill Ward and Wally Wood and Jack Cole and Doug Sneed would later cement as the in-house style of sorts that Playboy still use, utilizes, and they kind of stand on that as the progenitor of erotic art for guys like Bruce Tim and Frank Show. In fact, this fun quick story: I met Doug Sneed the first time I met Doug was in San Diego, and I was flipping through his portfolio, and I was looking at just his sketches and the art for sale, and I said, you know what? Now I know why I know this art, because at the Kubert School, we were, I was kind of studying the history of watercolors and methods and materials and things like this. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is a lot like what Bruce Timm was doing during Batman the Animated Series when he introduced that style, which has become so popular now. Uh, and, and I said, I bet if you drew Harley Quinn, it would be the most perfect Harley Quinn. There's got to be a progenitor of the species here. And he said, who's Harley Quinn? You know, this guy's very old. And I said, we're at San Diego. If you look up in any direction, you're going to see about 30 or 40 young ladies <laughs> in black and red jumpsuits. And we looked up, and sure enough, there were 130 or 40 young ladies in red jumpsuits. And he said, that's Harley, huh? And I brought it up on the phone, and I showed him uh, a picture of Harley. And he said, that's my face. Now, what? And he flipped <laughs> through his portfolio. And the visual style is enough. And it wasn't a swipe. No, no, not like that. But the visual style was right on. And I asked him if he would draw Harley. And I said, if you just draw a body, a woman's body and a face doing anything. And then, and he did it and he kind of sat back and looked at it and raised an eyebrow. And he's like, well, I'll be damned. <laughs> like, yes, I have a Doug Sneed Harley Quinn. That's never going to happen again. <laughs> wow. So number three on my list is William Gaines. William Gaines was born in 1922. He was the publisher and co-creator of EC comics. And he was brought to the Senate subcommittee in 1954 to fight for the comic book medium in its entirety during Frederick Wortham's own sort of witch trials. Yep. And that's where the seduction of the innocent comes in. Uh, and even though EC was pretty much entirely gone by 1955, Mad was Mad Magazine was restructured into a magazine. It was no longer classified as a comic. This kid was not going to give up. Everything that was a comic that he was going to lose because of the code they restructured into a magazine that became Mad. And uh, Gaines contributed to publishing at that capacity, but not only for Mad, but also to help set an example for publishers and editors to find ways around the Comics Code Authority. He was openly subversive 
he was a pit bull for these creative freedoms. You know, he was, yes, we're going to do what we want, but we know that there are repercussions and here's how we're going to stay safe. You know, and, and we're only now enjoying that at will. Uh, the code was still in effect at one length or another until Marvel and DC finally began to implement alternative publishing imprints like Marvel Knights, the Ultimates from 99 to like 2001, you know, when things started to grow up. And, yet, and they had to do that just to get rid of that little stamp on the cover. And then uh, number four, last but not least, certainly not least, got to be Stan Lee. Uh, yes. He is, yep. he is the ambassador for comics as a living facet of American pop culture. And at age 92, going on 93, he remains the singular face and rallying force for everything that we as children of the panel have followed and built and carry on. Uh, there will be no other after Stan because, uh, to be quite honest, no one has ever come forward that can match his contribution. And, you know, it's almost depressing to know that after 92 years of it, there is still no one else who's willing to stand up and be that cheerleader for comics as mainstream pop culture. We want it to happen, but it's not going to. So, I mean, those are my four. And, you know, maybe Deadpool's down at the bottom with a little acne plunger waiting to <laughs> ruin the day. <laughs> That's a, that's a hell of a list. It sounds like you put a lot of thought into that. Here's something else. I know you put a lot of thought into everything that you do. And you're very passionate about the things that you love, as we are here on the show. So mm -hmm. given that, what is the one thing that pisses you off about quote-unquote fanboys the most? Mm, nothing, because they pay my bills. Um, <laughs> there are two directions I could go in with that. One of which is a little too real, and I'm not going to go that direction. Because you're either behind the table or you're in front of the table. You know you know what I mean? Like at the conventions? Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. You're either behind the table or you're in front of the table. And the mentalities are different. And there's an understanding on the inside that the outside will never have. But there is an expectation and a power being on the outside that controls what you do on the inside. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is a symbiotic relationship. Nobody, there are no... There's no such thing as, well, we're the rock stars. No. We don't exist without fans. We, we are nothing without the people who are willing to take us in and celebrate what we do. Mm -hmm. So as soon as an artist or a writer or any creator gets pig-headed about it and decides that I'm the shiz, look at me go, you're going to start to slide backwards right out the convention door and before you know it you, you won't even have friends on facebook because they just forgot about you already uh -huh. mm -hmm. but if there's one thing that truly and genuinely pisses me off it's the keyboard warriors i don't like his art so that guy's a jerk no you don't know him uh -huh. you're, you're passing an opinion on what you're seeing and that is okay that is perfectly okay uh, everyone's entitled to that opinion, you know, more often than not on the internet, it is uninformed, but what are you going to do? But that doesn't mean, you know, the person who's doing it. And so often the artwork that you hate or the writing that you hate is being done by somebody who is living and breathing and will die this life. Mm -hmm. They're putting the time in. So whether you love it or hate it, at least have the balls to respect it. Yeah. Because, if I were to suddenly decide that I don't like the way that firefighter saved that guy, 
he must be a jerk. Well, no, he still saved a life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how he did it. He saved a life. Uh, I'm not saying that comics save lives. Uh, I, I think that to a certain extent they might. I probably couldn't read without them. But I mean, I did that. And that's so petty. It's, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> it seems petty to take that surface thing and uh, judge a person based on your concept of an aesthetic. Right. It's, uh, you know, I buy sketches at conventions too. And it doesn't matter who the artist is to me. I don't care who's A-list or B-list or C-list. If I see artwork that I like, I'm going to pick a character that looks good in that style, and I'm going to hang it up. No and doubt. Gonna... I could see it right there behind you on your wall, actually. For those uh, who... Well, these, uh, these are unique. These aren't really uh, convention sketches. There's a thing that I do for myself. It's kind of a hobby. If I'm ever going to meet somebody who's famous for not having a face, cartoon characters, like nobody would know who Chris Latta is if it wasn't for Cobra Commander and Starscream. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, he was the man. So if there, if I'm going to meet someone who did a voice for a cartoon character, I'll do a painting of the cartoon character and have them sign it. Because that's I, cool. You know, oh, that's so cool. Like JDF signed my White Ranger, and then uh, Jeremy Bullock signed the Boba Fett painting on the bottom, and um, uh, I did a gems that Samantha Newark just signed for me. So one quick thing that will go, man. Uh, Leonard Nimoy, you know, we did an episode on him a couple weeks ago, and you actually yes. told me about a great story and encounter you had with Leonard Nimoy. Tell us about that. Oh, wait, uh, about the, uh, I sent you photos from Long Beach. Did you get this? Photo? Yeah. About the people. Okay. Had, yeah. Are you talking about that or that and, that and when in Galvatron? Okay. Um, well, the Long Beach thing was just, that's a short story. I wasn't even there. It's just something somebody posted on my wall. Uh, somebody made the announcement at Long Beach Comic-Con about Leonard Nimoy and just sort of weirdly, awkwardly, mystically, but beautifully, everyone just kind of stopped what they were doing and raised the live long and prosper hands. And so cool. there are all these pictures that floated around. It was like this very real moment of silence, but it was about the most relevant thing I'd ever seen because it's easy to cut together a tribute video and throw it on YouTube and mm-hmm. say that you did your part. But this was a real living event because conventions are alive. It's not something that you go to. It's a thing that you're a part of. And, um, you know, everybody was a part of that one aspect of that one show at that one time. And Leonard made it happen in an unfortunate way, but he pulled it together. So my story, uh, I, I was like everybody else. I got to meet him one time and I stood in line with everybody else. And I had no Star Trek stuff because he is Spock. You know, he is, but not to me. (laughs) Uh, I wasn't a big Star Trek kid growing up, but I was very much a Transformers kid growing up. And uh, I I wrote this out in a chapter of Three Story, and I'm going to try not to butcher my own details here. So this will be the truncated version. I I walked in, I was ushered in, and they had it set up. And anyone who's ever met a big enough name knows that you don't have a table in our alley. They'll set up curtains and make like a makeshift room. Yeah. And then they'll bring you in like three at a time and then bring you in one at a time and you get your stuff signed and then they push you out the curtain on the other side of the right. machine. Okay, so I was just in there feeling very much like herded cattle. And um, it was my turn and I went in and I brought in my anniversary, my 20th anniversary edition of Transformers the movie. Nice. Because uh, he's he was always Galvatron to me. And I kind of put it down and he stood up and shook my hand and just, just a gentleman looked at it and held it and... Uh, Anyone who's of age, you've seen them do it. They'll like hold it out like three feet and like raise an eyebrow and focus on uh-huh. it for a second. And yeah. I realized that his eyes weren't all there. But he he kind of lowered his head and um, his voice changed. He took like half a breath and he looked up and said, 
you want me to gut Ultra Magnus? <laughs> <laughs> I lit the hell up. I was like, are you serious? All right, so I, I, can't, I can't freak out. I can't freak out. And I said, there are plenty of Autobots for you. Ultra Magnus is mine. And he, <laughs> he just kind of smiled and laughed and said, uh, I think I think that was my line. <laughs> and I said, the whole scene was yours. And um, he sat back and he stood up and he came around the table and he shook my hand and said, thank you for that. You know, it was kind of a neat it was kind of a neat experience. Just one artist appreciating that another artist appreciated your work, waiting for him to sign his name. And and there I am getting to talk Transformers. And how did that even happen? And did you meet Orson Welles? You know, yeah. That's that's a jacked up question. You go to meet Leonard Nimoy and you ask him if he met somebody else. I don't know if that was appreciate, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that was really cool. And um, yeah, he signed it. And the, of course, I got the silver marker that was dead. So he's like grinding his name onto the cover. So it looks like crap, but I don't care. <laughs> but Matt, we appreciate you coming on the show, man. Talking all Anytime, stuff. guys. I love it. I love it. Matt Slay, everybody. Matt Slay, everybody. Yay! <laughs> Yay! I got to tell you, man, that that's some serious insight from Matt Slay and just his his Mount Rushmore alone. Who would put together a Mount Rushmore like that? That was so cool. Well, that's the thing. It's like you know, we said superhero Mount Rushmore. He puts together some of the greatest minds in comic art and and just comics history. I mean, yeah. that was really outside the box thinking. And like I said, you know, you can go check out uh, when he brings it out, uh, three story dungeon, also Icarus and. Just from the one chapter we read, James, a three story, like we could not control our laughter. We were laughing so hard. I, I want more. I'm I'm not a big fan of the non picture books, as they say, but uh, I I can't wait for this one. That that is going to be a hilarious read from start to finish. I have no doubt. That I mean that and the whole Marvel retro thing, which is pretty cool. And you I know, know it makes me want to do trading cards again now. Yeah, and they, well, things like Matt and I talked a little bit, you know, uh, yesterday to check out his connectivity and everything else. We started talking, and we started and literally we started talking about an hour. Uh, through Skype, and it was just some of the cool things he was telling me, um, some of the funny things, and it was just, it, it was really cool, you know, it's really cool to have somebody come in on the show as a guest, and, you know, just have a great conversation with them, because that's what people like about us, they like, hey, you don't have interviews, you guys have conversations. And you know? and somebody that actually listens to the show. Yeah, that's, you know? that's, that's, that's pretty cool for us. And so, well, somebody like Matt, who we've met a couple times, we've known for a while, you know, that's really such an honor. You know, as somebody in the industry yeah. listens to your show and likes it a lot. Like, Matt's told me, like, he's like, yeah, he's like, I'll literally sit down in the studio and listen to, like, a whole month's worth of you guys straight. It, it's it's hard. He was talking about uh, guys getting a big head. It's it's hard, I think, for us not to get a big head. When we point, <laughs> when we point to a piece of art from – amazing art from Matt Slane. So you see the guy that drew that? Yeah, he listens to our show and loves it. So, yeah, yeah there's that. There's actually a, a piece, when I get the money together, I'll, I'll have him draw for me. There's a piece I want him to do for me. Um, I think he'll have fun doing it uh, because it's, it's, it has to do, deal with uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I know we know he's such a huge Turtles fan. So mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I didn't get a chance to tell him this because it totally slipped my mind. The first piece, and it was a print. I'll say that. It was a print. The first piece of comic book art I ever purchased at a con, ever, first piece, was a Matt Slay piece. Nice. What first piece, piece was it? ever. It was the Batman Mr. Freeze. Oh, that's print. right. That's what I wanted. First piece I ever bought was from Matt Slay. So I'll, 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 well, I'm sure he'll listen to the show. So I'm sure that he'll find that out at some point. First piece I ever purchased. 
Right. But I mean, it's also cool, like, you know, like Matt comes out, we're talking about the whole, his, his book, Seduction of the Innocent, which, like I said, it's just a regular worded book, but it has all these art forms. We've seen it. Like, he showed it to us when he was at Tidewater Con in October, mm-hmm. and we could stop by our table. We, he showed it to us. It was just some hilarious and great drawings that were in that book. Yeah, The Seduction of the Innocent is. It's if you go back to our photos from Tidewater Comic Con in October, yeah. we took a picture of it, and it does not even do it justice. So if you see Matt at a con and he happens to have it on him, just take a second and see if he'll let you flip through it because it will blow your mind. Yeah, we'll have to like have a Trojan horse for Matt to like arrive in at Tidewater Con. Pretty oh, much. definitely. Yeah, we're gonna slip him in the back door. <laughs> yeah, but that's gonna do it for episode fifty-three of Down and Nerdy Boys and Girls. Glad for you know to listen. We're so happy to have Matt Slay on again. Thank you, Matt, for coming on the show and just talking comics with us and just everything you do. It's so fantastic. Uh, don't forget, you can tweet us at Down Nerdy Seven Five Seven. I'm on Twitter at Merc with One Arm James. I'm at James A Switham, and of course, you can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash Down and Nerdy, and email your fan questions. We can't wait to do our first fan forum episode. Email your questions at Down and Nerdy Podcast at gmail.com because the fan forum episode will be coming soon. Yes, and also don't forget we're on iTunes as well. You know, for those of you who are listening on SoundCloud, we're also on iTunes as well. Search for Down and Nerdy Podcast. That's what we're labeled as, Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yes, and don't forget to check out our friend Bob over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards on Aragona Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Check out all his figures and his comics. And with that being said, boys and girls, nerd nerdettes alike, I leave you with this as I do every week. Practice safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics.